Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Sometimes life comes at you fast, man. How you deal with it is everything. Do you go hard and strong? Maybe you need to be flexible. Or maybe some quickness of thought and action is your way out. Hell, sometimes you just want to disappear. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can react any way you want. Anyway. Because remember, you're special. Just like everybody else. I'm Kay. We've got Joey Connors and Martin Hansen with me to discuss The Incredibles. Strap in, this is going to get weird. Yes, it is The Incredibles pod. Like I said, I've got Joey and Martin with me. How are you guys? How are you doing? Doing good, buddy. Nice, nice. Right, guys, The Incredibles. So, I have to admit, I have to admit this was not my favorite Pixar movie. But when I rewatched it again, I have infinitely more appreciation for this movie now. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much more. I feel really bad for not giving this movie its fair dues. I'll go around asking you guys, why do you like this movie so much? Why is it so special to you? I'll start with you, Joe. I think it's incredibly special for me because it reminds me of one of my all-time favorite passions, which is comic books. There is a ton of parallels between this movie and I know we're going to talk about this later, so I won't get too much in it. But that's the big, I mean, one, it's a really good movie. It's a family movie. I love how there's four family members fighting evil. Like, that's awesome to me. That is the ultimate original comic book. So that's why it, I was originally attracted to it. All right. And for you, Martin? Well, the first thing that really appealed to me when I saw it when it came out was it was the first time they did human characters properly, not just as a plot device, as in Monsters, Inc., for example, or mm. Toy Story, which made it sort of how, how far they had progressed the animation at that time. And then when I rewatched it now this weekend, I just identified so much more with some of the characters and their traits. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a movie that has aged incredibly well. I wasn't actually aware that this was the first Pixar movie, you know, centered around people. And, you know, actually, there were a lot of people... They were pretty unhappy at that. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, yeah. some people just refused to watch the movie because uh, they, they were pretty sure it was going to suck. The animation was going to suck really bad. But Pixar have this thing, man. Like As Martin said, they wouldn't do people until it was right. And when they did it, it was, like you can see, that was the first good time to do people in animation. Yeah, I, I think they nailed it, actually. I watched it recently as well, and maybe not as recent as you guys have, but it doesn't just doesn't feel dated for me, and I think a big reason of that is the the story and the plot. Well, start of the movie with Mister Incredible after the sort of prologue part is basically office space. It feels like it's not just about me and my dream of doing nothing. It's about all of us together, Michael. We don't have a lot of time on this earth. We weren't meant to spend it this way. Human beings were not meant to sit in little cubicles staring at computer screens all day, filling out useless forms and listening to eight different bosses drone on about mission statements. I told those fudge packers I like Michael Bolton's music. Oh. That is not right, Michael. 
<laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's cool. Yeah. And it's such a universal story because everyone who's had any kind of white collar job where you're mm. not upper management will instantly feel and recognize sort of the struggles of that character. It's a very clever way of humanizing and building a relationship to the main character, even though he's a superhero. Mm. Let me move on with that. And Joey, I'll keep it with you. I mean, right after the sequence, what we do is we focus in on Mr. Incredible. We focus in on Bob's life. Like Martin says, the office situation, work situation, just the griminess of his existence and how he sort of lost his zest for life. Uh, you know, that's the initial whole first part of the movie. But they focus on this for, you know, probably half the movie before the family becomes more part of it. What did you think of that decision? I know a lot of people wanted the focus to more be on the family from the get-go. Do you agree or disagree in any way with like focusing on Bob for so long? I actually agree with it. And the reason I do is because they can set up the rest of the movie that way. Whereas if they started with the family of the four of them, it wouldn't have worked. Because remember, Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible didn't want their kids to be in this. They knew the dangers of being a superhero. And, you know, you see Bob and he's kind of miserable. He went from the absolute top. And then you see that with athletes all the time. It's kind of the same thing. Like you hit your peak and then mm. what, where do you go? There's nowhere else to go. But, you know, he goes down. He doesn't want to work that job. It's almost like he's just waiting for some kind of spark to come back into his life to make him mm -hmm. feel real again. His marriage is, uh, I guess it's fine, but again, they met when they were soups. So every day is essentially, you know, like a honeymoon type thing. And now they're living the normal, typical family of four life, and he really struggles with that. And I don't think they could have gotten that across if they didn't just focus on him. I think he had to be the main focus for, like you were saying, basically half the movie. I've, I've got a little thought on this myself, but Martin, before I get to that, I ask you the same question. Do you have any thoughts either way on the focusing on Mr. Incredible for so long? I, I agree strongly with it because I feel it sort of builds a connection to a character in the film as opposed to pick and choose between characters and trying to fit them in equally in the movie because it gives you a focal point for who to identify with more strongly. Because if you look at sort of the more modern superhero movies that contain more than one, they usually have had mm. their own movie first to establish them. Mm. I think for me, because I think you have to focus it on, you know, the adults generally. And I just wonder if they had focused on Helen it would have been a very brave move and, uh, you know, I would have definitely applauded that move. I think the reason they chose Mr. Incredible is because we're far more used to looking yeah, at things from a superhero yeah. male perspective, you know, and we're used to that story. We can use that as a vehicle with which to access the particular stereotypes that the movie relies on. So as Joey was saying, it's almost like a... Uh, in America, we know the story of the college football hero who bust out his knee and now he has to go back to a normal life and he married his high school sweetheart and she expected more from life too. But she made it work, you know, and she accepted that life was going to be a more quote unquote normal life. He couldn't accept it and so on and so on. But I think that's an interesting way to start exploring the issues of gender within the superhero genre. You can start by saying, hey, here's a normal story of a normal guy. This is going to go the normal way you think. And it doesn't. It goes somewhere completely different. And I don't think you can really have that impact if you focus on the whole family in the beginning. I don't think you can establish the stereotype unless, you know, you actually establish the stereotype. You lose that if you focus too much on the family. I thought about that, too, and as we seem to all agree that on being on Bob, Mr. Incredible will be the focus. I thought it would have been cool, and I, I don't know how you would have done it. And the, the movie would have been obviously different, but to have the main focus on Buddy and to see it as like a villain story instead of a superhero mm. story. I thought that would have been interesting, too, because how he was shunned, you know, that's a big exactly. thing in somebody's life. Yeah. And to see that from his perspective and then, you know, he turns into like the ultimate villain and he turned like he's got all this money. I thought that would have been a cool way to do it. But I still agree with Mr. Incredible being the focus. I just thought that would have been a neat way to do it. 
That's cool. I mean, that's a big thing about this movie, how we can focus on those characters and everybody has their reasons for doing particular things, right? Let's get into that a little bit. I know Joey's chomping at this one because yeah, they reminded me of something, Joey. I'm pretty sure they reminded you of something too. <laughs> I'm guessing we're going to say the Fantastic Four, correct? Exactly. <laughs> Initially. Yeah. Uh, that is basically the thing. It's a very obvious sort of uh, connection to make as well. Yeah. But uh, I'll let the comic book expert take it away. <laughs> Go on, Joe. The thing about it is that it, it really does. I mean, this whole movie parallels Watchmen. If you guys have seen Watchmen, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's exactly the exact same. It's mm. crazy how it's. But just because you have powers doesn't necessarily it. They'll, and what you get in comics all the time is the powers are not what make the people special. It's what's, mm. in, I know this is really corny to some people, but it's what's inside. With great power comes great responsibility. Look at the Spider-Mans of the world, the Batmans of the world. These are easily people who have these powers who could do bad stuff with them. You know, I, that's why we have villains. But it is interesting that, you know, the Fantastic Four is the Invisible Woman, Human Torch thing, and Mr. Fantastic. So they very closely resemble that kind of four obviously the thing's a little bit different because he's just a big grumpy bastard um (laughs) power wise though yeah power wise exactly that's right so you know you do kind of have the same thing but you also have violet who has these powers but is told basically her whole life to suppress them don't use them because there's no need for them anymore that's hard to tell Mm. somebody who can you know, she basically she can become invisible. She has an impact-resistant force shield, and then you have Dash, who is incredibly fast, who is even younger. And anybody who has children or knows anything about Luke, <laughs> his age, if when you tell them not to do oh, stuff, man. they do the opposite. So you know, imagine from the kid's point of view, you're like, okay, I know my mom and dad were big-time superheroes, top dogs, and they're telling us to suppress, 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 act normal. But see, here's the thing. You're not normal. And again, I go back to because you have powers, that's not, that's not what makes you special. Violet mm. becomes special because she overcomes her, I'll say, teenage awkwardness and then finds herself. You know, just with the little hair thing, when she pulls the hair out of her eyes later in the movie and mm. realizes that, like, oh, I, I am a pretty girl. I'm more than just... Violet, who has powers and who is the daughter of two soups, maybe the two best soups ever. And then Dash, who wants to use his powers, but channels it into something good when he's running at the end of the movie, when he's running track and he, like, he's like blowing by people and the, his mom and dad are in the stands like, no, 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 slow down, slow down, slow down. And they, he lets the kids pass and then he blows by him again. So it's really neat how they, how they got that. Watching it again yesterday, you sort of realize, I mean, it, it does it does mimic the Fantastic Four because you have Mr. Incredible mimicking the thing's strength. And mm-hmm. both of those guys, because that's what they are, every problem is, is a problem that they can solve with strength. And it's also their crutch psychologically as well. Then you have Mr. Fantastic and Helen Parr. And their powers are both flexibility. And what they both try and do is always be the thing that's that's in between, that fills the gap, that what's needed at that time. And then uh, you have Susan Storm, which perfectly mimics Violet. And this is interesting. Oh, I, I, at least I, like, early so, on. Yes, at least early on, very much so. And, but I think it's, uh, Joey, you correct me, doesn't, I mean, like this kind of character journey, is that something that Susan does as well? Very much so. You know, remember, the, the first Fantastic Four came out in 1961. Mm. So we're, we're comparing this with a movie from 2004, which tells you a lot. Mm. You know, it, it does. She's kind of the... See, the Fantastic Four came about in a, in a completely... They didn't have any of these powers. It was just... Yes, it, it, yeah. It, you know, they didn't have... It's not like they were... They had these from birth, and this is who we are, which that's the big difference here. That's a big because difference. Because they, they got... Yeah, they got into an accident, and... Like, remember, Ben Grimm, who was the thing, he wanted no part of this. Mm. You know, he wanted he didn't want to be part of the Fantastic Four. He didn't want to look like a hideous rock. You know what I mean? That's what he is. But he finally accepted who he is, which is also plays a big part in The Incredibles. That's what they eventually have to do mm. because they, they kind of hesitate at first. Is like, oh, OK, well, all these soups are dying. What's going on here? And then as much as 
you know, Mr. Incredible doesn't tell his wife that he's getting into this, which is in any marriage, you know, is a big no-no. And she finds out from who is it? Edna, I think her name is. Yeah, Edna, Edna Mode. Mode. It's hysterical. And it's actually, I think that's Brad Bird's voice. That's Brad that? Bird yeah. is doing that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there is a lot of parallels in Fantastic Four, but yeah. the old, I mean, there's just a big difference in that when they got their powers and how they used them. But yeah, Sue Storm it does kind of follow that to a certain extent. Yeah, so, so I mean, what's really interesting about that is if I was coming up with writing these people's powers, I understand the invisibility, the, you know, the barriers thing, it's a little more abstract. And I find it interesting that both Susan Storm and Violet have both of those particular powers, right? So, I mean, the, again, it comes from personality and Violet is going through an, an awkward teenage phase and she just wants to fit in. She just wants to be a normal kid. She wants to have the same things as normal kids have. She wants she wants the popular boy at school to just notice her at first, you know, like that would be a good step. But I understand why, you know, the invisibility and stuff, it fits in really well with the character. And then you have Dash, who's a lot like Johnny Storm. He's just impulsive and reckless, mm. but he is also a child. And he just, he wants to use his powers. He's tired of hiding. He wants to be exceptional. He wants to be special. And this is where him and his dad really connect. But what's interesting about all these powers is it's also the crutch for all of them. I've mentioned that Bob has a problem. And this actually, what they demonstrated in the movie is that Bob has near depression because he can't solve problems in any other way. He can't be the guy behind the desk all the time because he only knows how to really solve problems by like overtly helping people, overtly being really this really huge strong guy. So when things don't go well, he almost takes the family car and chucks it. You know, <laughs> he almost does it because that's how he solves problems. And when he can't do that, he falls deeper into depression. Only later in the movie, when he's forced to confront things in a different way, that he starts growing, right? In the same way, Helen, who's very flexible and does all these things. Remember in the beginning, Martin, exactly as you were saying, she was, she was saying, you can't just let the men do all these things. She was the strong character. And what she did is she fell into this very strong mom stereotype. And what she needed to do later in the movie was to stop being that flexible. You know, she needed to accept what was going on and, and you know, be a little bit more forceful in what she was doing. And she did that absolutely perfectly. She was, she is one of the most incredible characters I've seen in maybe any animation. The complexity of her, I mean, she's almost a perfect character in the way that you really believe it's a real person. Violet, that's an easy one. She has to accept that she has to come out of a shell a little bit. She has to grow and, you know, be able to accept herself. And Dash is another interesting one. And he just has to, you know, not, not calm down, but he has to find a channel for doing these reckless things. And, you know, he has to be that there. And in, in exchange, stop in the being normal a normal way. And that's the other thing. That's a wonderful way to show personality because that, that's how the, the older child solves problems sometimes differently from the, the younger kids, right? And uh, I mean, Dash is the younger kid at then because Jack-Jack is obviously too young to be able to be really, you know, a personality. And that's also reflected in his powers. Jack-Jack as the baby can do anything because his personality is not set. I would love to know what happens after Violet finishes going through all these changes and after Dash goes through all these changes. Do they get to change their powers? You know, that would be kind of cool. <laughs> would do that. You know, that would be awesome. According to uh, Brad Bird. Jack-Jack had many more powers that hadn't been shown in the final sequence because he's a baby. So he has more. That makes total yeah. sense, though. It does. It's sort of, it's sort of, yeah, I mean, no, no, I mean, specifically does, no, it, it might, like, if as a grown adult, Jack-Jack has more powers, then I'm not with you in terms of it being logical. Like, what, no, what, what, I, I, I think, my understanding uh, is that everybody has access to, like, all the powers. And then as you grow and develop and your personality becomes set, the powers mimic that sort of. So by the time you're an adult, you have, like, the one power. Yeah, I, I don't know how that's going to be. But uh, they stated that as a baby, he's a shapeshifter. Because he's I also a baby. thought, like, I thought shapeshifter, but then he, like, turned into fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the thing. Like, if you well, if you go through comics, not all superheroes or villains have their powers at full capacity all the time. I mean, you can there's mm. a, there's a lot of different characters, like Galactus <laughs> or Thanos, who have merged into peak powers, but didn't necessarily start out that way. 
And there's yes. like, you can go through, mm. all through comics. They they kind of grow, you know, they grow in everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm really interested to see how that how that sort of works with Jack Jack. You guys know I don't watch trailers and I try not to read anything about new movies, but I'm super excited about Incredibles 2. The one thing I've read because it's on headlines everywhere is that it will leave off right where the first movie ended. I'm really interested to see if the movie covers a number of years and what happens to Jack Jack because that's just the sort of technical geek in me wanting to see how the world works in The Incredibles. But if they don't do that, then that's fine. And that was the other thing that I loved about The Incredibles. There's no origin story. I want to talk about that a little while later, but that's sort of you, you off the cuff. You get the but kid's origin story. If you you like. get the kid's origin story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, not the, yeah they definitely don't talk about the mother and the fathers. But you can kind of understand where it came from, but they don't actually go over it. Yeah. And the thing is, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> the movie doesn't suffer in any way, you know. No, not and all. it took it took Spider-Man people many iterations for them to understand that we don't need another origin story. And you know, it, when you reboot Superman, if you do that, like we don't need another origin story. We don't need another Batman origin story. I understand it forms a lot of uh, of the character. You know, Batman, his origin story is an important part of his character and his motivations. But I loved that there was no origin story. In this plot, it was great. I thought it was it was different. It didn't mess up the plot in any way, shape, or form. So that well, was new for me, but cool. You sort of get an origin story, but it's not the one you're expecting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that's true. Like it, it, the origin story I'm talking about is actually that traditional way that. Um, no, no, uh, but you're. You, you know that, like, and and you you don't really get that, like somebody fell into a vat of toxic chemicals and then came out. It's it's you know it's it's <laughs> not always important. Do, but you're just focusing on the wrong person, because somebody has an origin story very clearly set up in the movie. A syndrome. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. But he's he's not actually a. He, he doesn't have powers. Yeah. No. But you, you still get an origin for why the character turned out the way he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the interesting thing, right? Because essentially we're setting up a world, Joey, as you said, like in Watchmen, of powers versus no powers, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is not really something that people would associate from animated movies, but it's really bothering me. <laughs> you know, what is this movie trying to say about so-called normality versus so-called exceptionalism. You know, that that was a wonderful, huge theme that's happened across this entire movie. It, it's a debate that's raging now. A lot of people are saying, you don't give kids medals for participation. That encourages mediocrity. And, you know, you have to let exceptional people be exceptional. Why do you have to worry about all these other kids and how they are going to feel? So do we, in essence, are, are we saying to somebody like Dash, don't run as fast because you're going to make everyone else feel bad. I don't know if they're necessarily celebrating mediocrity. I think it's just their protection of their children because they saw what they went through when your whole life, yeah, you're a superhero, but you're trying to protect your identity because there's always somebody out there who's looking to kill you. Mm. So mm. I don't know if I necessarily look at it as society celebrating mediocrity. If you look at it, if you look at it from the societal perspective of the movie, so like society sees superheroes, and then they say you cannot be superheroes anymore, and you have to be normal people. You should rather just be mediocre like everybody else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's exactly what society's done to them, because they basically have eradicated all of the bad guys. So their society's telling them we have no use for you anymore. You can come to our world and live like we do. It is time for their secret identity to become their only identity. Time for them to join us or go away. And that's not fair. It's clearly not fair because they're not the same. Not everybody's the same, especially in this kind of world of superheroes, villains, and just I'll call them normal people because that's just the regular people. I think that's quite interesting because there is no villain in this movie that has superpowers. Mm-mm. What did you think about this, Martin? Because is the movie saying that we are unfairly oppressing people that are actually exceptional? Which leads us to one of my favorite subjects, <laughs> not, but Ayn Rand and her theory of objectivism 
which <laughs> which is it. so this is like people are actually having debates about this right and i love that people are doing this do you get that sense where do you stand on the whole thing i didn't feel it advocated either way it was more of a people should be able to have discussion and be able to be open to both sides in some instances conformity has its uses and mm. it's good and other times it really doesn't help you accomplish what you need sometimes mm. you need to allow those who are ahead of the curve to excel that's really well put man it was it's sort of like your your superpowers your exceptionalism is also a crutch you need to focus on normal stuff to be able to come out and still live a, a sort of i don't know like a fuller and happier life so yeah no i mean that that makes a lot of sense i'll stay with you martin just like in watchmen the difference between watchmen joey you can correct me here but the watchmen don't actually have superpowers right well some of them do doctor man some of them or... do yeah doctor yes, doctor Manhattan Doc Manhattan. is off the charts and yeah i mean some of them he's basically like a borderline yeah. He's basically a, a god with a little G, right? Is uh, is it, does anybody else have powers? Ozymandias is pretty close yeah. to having powers. Because I know, um, I mean, everybody else basically uh, they sort of have access to normal physiques and stuff like that. They just train really hard and are very brave and come on and do this kind of thing. And that that was a bit of a difference. And that was uh, the whole point I thought of Watchmen. One of the interesting points is that now you're talking about vigilantism when you don't have superhero powers, right? But here we have superhero powers. Can the world actually accept heroes as the world as it is now? If we got superheroes, but only superheroes, we didn't get supervillains. If we only got superheroes, would we be able to sort of tolerate and use them? Well, I want to move away from Watchmen. Because mm -hmm. this is sort of where a more mo modern movie uh, fills in a gap much better. Likely what would happen in today's society is what we saw in Civil War, the mm. Captain America movie, mm. where they would want to control them. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. What if this panel sends us somewhere we don't think we should go? What if there's somewhere we need to go and they don't let us? And so on and so forth. Definitely. We can extend this, right, Joey, because we saw this in X-Men, right? We saw this in X-Men with the Sentinels and, you know, the, mm -hmm. the there was a whole government policy. Also, as you know, Joey, I read a comic book and it was Spider-Man Brand New Day. <laughs> and in, <laughs> in that comic book, they require everybody with superpowers basically to register with the government. But in doing so, you have to reveal your identity to government, right? And that's the, that's the same kind of thing. More and more writers of comics are sort of looking at this going, if we did exist in the real world, somebody would look to control us. And it's interesting to explore the reasons why they would control us. But it, it's sort of the movie is sort of saying that it's really difficult to accept superheroes in our society. Would it actually work? Well, it's hard because Civil War, the comic book, is basically what that is. It's. People, they want to know your identity. They're basically trying to control you, which is a government controlling, which I'm a big, I don't like that at all. I hate that, actually. So, but as accepting, I think, of course, they're always accepting superheroes when they're doing good. But it's always, you know, two sides of the coin. Like if, if the superhero does something really good, but then destroys a whole city, is the good outweighing the bad there? Mm. Probably, because you just... They should accept them because they just saved them people, general people, from many deaths. But, again, on the other side of that, if you destroy a whole city like you see in the Batman Superman movie, which is why you originally can't stand him, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard. But, again, look at comic books. Spider-Man is just a teenager, but he's never accepted universally. You know, he always is thinking mm. about giving up the suit because no matter how much good he does – they always want more, or he's always going to do something wrong. So, no, I don't think that they ever will fully accept. Yeah, because just logistically, you know, the act of having such a lot of power. The, one of the weirder bits of that movie was when, <laughs> when Mr. Incredible saved the dude from suicide, mm -hmm. and then the guy got to sue him. Mr. Sansweet didn't ask to be saved. Mr. Sansweet didn't want to be saved. And the injury received from Mr. Incredible's actions, so-called, causes him daily pain. Hey, I saved your life! You didn't save my life, you ruined my bed. That's what you're Listen, my client has no further comment at this time. That's it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that was that was a that was weird because isn't isn't suicide like illegal? Yeah, it's crime, which, crime. which was sort of 
What surprised me the most is sort of why why wasn't he put on trial? <laughs> <laughs> it's like don't don't upset the masses with your perfection, you know? Like going back to your <laughs> Well, going back to your Iron yeah, Man point. Yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. That that's yeah. exactly it. Like that really parallels Iron Ran and Atlas Shrugged. You yeah. know? Like it's it mm. really does. The fall of the elite, stuff like that. So mm, mm, mm. that's an interesting one talking about Iron Man. Because I, I he almost sort of makes an appearance in this movie by which, like, Syndrome is this person without powers, but amazing intellect. This dude was a kid, right? And he made rocket boots or whatever, right, Martin? Can technology, in effect, trump what is evolution, sort of, you know, this the superpowers, genetic mutations, unbelievable uh, supreme ability to do stuff? Can technology actually trump that? That was one of the interesting themes. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it goes uh, a lot of ways, but as a, a famous uh, sci-fi writer once uh, posed, Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Arthur C. Clarke. Uh-huh. So, at some point, evolution and technology will probably start merging together. Where you want to take your evolution mm. is strongly dictated by your available te- level of technology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's just the best answer. My goodness. Yeah, trying to think up of a follow-up question. I'm like, no, you've just that's everything. That's a great yeah. answer. <laughs> but uh, when you guys were discussing the acceptance of superheroes in modern society, I, I sort of had a epiphany moment where I never really thought I would ever, in a useful and practical way, ha- have a use for my philosophy and ethics 101 from university then Mm. when you were discussing the sort of how society would accept superheroes it all comes down to how you deal with the accountability of their actions Mm. because the greater good sort of is a uh, what do you call it again utilitarianism Mm -hmm. where if a city is destroyed that they save like an entire country then in a utilitarian point of view it is unobjectionably good action because more good happened than bad mm. but then you have sort of a person uh, or a philosopher like uh, Immanuel Kant who will say if you cannot argue that on every step of the way your action is good then you shouldn't do it so everything yeah. boils down to how you want to observe the accountability of a hero's actions on whether they can be tolerated or not mm. This is making me think of Watchmen again. Exactly. <laughs> the movie at the, yeah. at the end of it when they do that. That that's. It's. I mean, one of the things is there was somebody who said, but you can't do these big, horrible things to people because when you take society backwards, it will always catch up with you because the history is sort of always going around and around and around, and the masses will always come and rise up against the power and. It's almost like even if the actual history isn't learnt, the effect of that history is the same, and so people will recognize it. So that, you know it'll keep on sort of happening. Talking about syndrome, actually, right? We have this thing of the dangers of maybe technology, but more how you use it, right? Which is Joey, what you're talking about before. Technology is the same as power, uh, like Martin was saying, in that it's not important to have it or not. It's important what you use it for. And what we see in this movie is that in effect. This villain was created by our plot's main hero, right? <laughs> and and yeah. this is one of the themes of this movie, which also was so nice because it's not this objectionable good, objectionable bad type of thing, but the dangers of abandoning somebody. I don't know what happened with Buddy's parents and all that kind of thing. I'm, you know, <laughs> we don't get to see that, but this movie really does warn us about abandoning somebody, leaving them along the way, and not taking care of them. Yeah, it really does. Like you said, there's certain variables you don't know as in parents, but it doesn't seem like his parents were really there for him anyway because he's a little kid basically trying to be a a Robin of Batman. But, yeah, I mean, just symptoms of abandonment he could have went through. This kid is obviously very intelligent, but, you know, you go through, like, isolation and chronic depression, insecurity, anxiety, you know, loss of control over life. You put all those things together with somebody who created that technology, well, you're going to have the ingredients for a really good villain. And mm. that's what they, that's what they created. It was just, it was really, really, really smart on their part. 
There's a really good comment on the internet. Somebody said, this is the movie that would have happened if Batman had rejected Robin. Yeah, it sort of happened, not rejection-wise, so it's a little different, I guess, but it's basically what happened with Jason Todd as Robin, where he just thought that Batman would always be there for him, but he was killed and he came back as somebody different. And then he had an agenda against Batman and he went after mm. him. So mm. the story's a little different. It's not an abandonment story, but it sort of is because mm. he takes him in and there's a father. He feels figure. abandoned, yeah. Mm. Yeah, he feels abandoned because he was killed by the Joker and he was wondering, hey, well, where's the, my father figure? Where's he at to protect me? You know, he's not there. So mm. it is like that in a way because there's many different Robins if nobody most people know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, like, there's, there's a ton of Robins. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know a lot about them, but um, I was having a discussion with Stu from the Comic Pod on Twitter the other day, and he sort of um, set me right and said it, it wasn't really the case, but all the Robins seem to be have like deep-seated psychological issues, just like Batman, and it's an interesting character in itself, especially along its many iterations, and exactly, exactly paralleling. Buddy and what happened to him through this movie. One thing I found interesting with his character when I rewatched it, sort of on the comment we did on sort of celebrating mediocrity and stuff, is mm-hmm. he basically wants to fly and go straight into top end hero work immediately. He's not okay with sort of starting with the helping old ladies get their kittens out of trees. Kind <laughs> <of work laughs> interesting. Yes, yes, yes. Good observation. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, he just sort of jumps straight into wanting to save the entire city. He doesn't want yeah. to take baby steps. <laughs> Not at all. You gotta admit, this is cool. Just like a movie. The robot will emerge dramatically, do some damage, thrones of screaming people, and just when all hope is lost, Syndrome will save the day. What do you guys think about uh, Syndrome's comment of Everyone can be super. And when everyone's super, <laughs> no one will be. Once you give everybody superpowers, nobody's special. Again, I go back to it depends on who the person is because it's not the superpowers mm. that make you special. It's what you do with them that makes you special. Because if you're just going to cause trouble and be a villain, I wouldn't necessarily call you special. So he looks at it as just a physical thing, not an emotional or a mental thing as well. So I would, I would vastly disagree as a comic book reader myself. Good. Uh, you feel the same way, Martin? Absolutely. The ingredients don't make the person it's what their actions are. Yeah. What are your favorite bits? I mean, I don't know if this is because we're still gonna. I still want to discuss a little bit after this. But people calling this the best superhero movie of all time. Do you agree with that? And what were your favorite bits of this movie? Uh, I'll start with you, Joe. Favorite? Are we doing favorite scenes or just in general favorite stuff? Anything. What are the elements of this movie that stuck with you the most? I think one of the biggest things that stuck with me is how, which we talked about earlier, is how the characters sort of grow into their roles. Even Mr. Incredible, who, like I said, is the, half the movie's focused around him. That really stuck with me, how they brought that together and how they end up fighting as a team and as a family where... They basically preached the whole time that that's not something that they wanted to do. That stuck with me. I love Dash as a character. I thought he was really cool, really funny. I love his power. I love when he's running on water and he's just looking down and going, Oh my God, I'm running on water. <laughs> Doesn't realize he, he could do all this. You know, and I, I love Jason Lee who did the voice of Buddy. But mm. Buddy was an incredibly annoying superhero. And I, I know that was... <laughs> Super villain, I should say. And I know that was the point of it. So we played it really well, but it was very annoying. And as far as your question about best superhero movie ever, again, I'm going to have a jaded opinion because I'm such a comic book fan. I would say it's not the best ever, but it's certainly one of the best ever. It's a great question because I don't know if a lot of people look at it from that. Because And the only reason why exactly. is because mm. you throw Pixar in front of something and then people go, oh, well, that, that can't be a superhero movie. But in essence, mm. it has every ingredient that a superhero movie or any of these comic book movies that have been done in the last 15 years has. So it's up there, but in my opinion, it's not the best. Martin, for you, is this the best superhero movie of all time? And what were your favorite things about the movie? I don't know if it's the best of all time, but what I would say is uh, 
if there's a general TV tropes article on superhero movies, this one should probably be the basis of that uh, article. If you mm, know the, yeah. if you know the page. I haven't. I don't. I'll I'll go check it out. Yeah. But your favorite thing as well. Be online? careful. Trope, oh, yeah. is it why? <laughs> because uh, it's a sort of it's a collection of articles on sort of stereotypes and all, all the things used to tell stories in books, movies, series, everything sort of it's called TV tropes because you have for example the something is really badass if it kicks uh, Worf from new generations ass. <laughs> I see, that's cool. <laughs> so there's an entire article dedicated to that specific sort of section. Once the rabbit hole is opened, you can go really deep really fast. That's kind of cool. <laughs> but, uh, there's a three there's a couple of scenes that really stick out to me sort of when I first watched it, my absolute favorite scene was uh, when uh Elastigirl or Helen comes to the principal's office and Dash's teacher is just going off his rockers because uh, he was just being a little in the classroom. By the way, it's like, You're letting him go again? He's guilty! You can see it on his smug little face! Guilty! I say guilty! Guilty! And sort of his face just gets so big into the camera and he's just freaking out. He's guilty, I say. <laughs> it's just fantastic. And then uh, now as an adult, the scene that just hits so close to home was uh, they're at the dinner table. And uh, well, it, it happens twice, but when they're feeding Jack-Jack and they're making faces while they're feeding oh, him. That was, oh, that was one of my favorite parts as well. Oh, it's brilliant. And it was just because I remember when I started... Uh, feeding actual food to my boy, I, I would mimic the eating motion, so he would, because in my mind that would make it easier for him to eat. Yeah, <laughs> it's the monkey see, monkey do thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's a beautiful moment, and it's real. I and I think for me that was that was the big thing from this movie is that. All the characters, they all have real changes. They all have real journeys that uh, that make them different. They have to learn to solve problems in a different way. And it comes out in a totally different uh, conclusion to what I thought, you know. Oh, the family has to just band together and then they combine their powers and sort out whatever. They couldn't do that. They actually all had to change. It wasn't about their superpowers, like you guys are saying over and over. But it wasn't about their superpowers. It's about how they changed as people. And one of the things I know people don't like, a lot of people didn't like that. And this was the first Pixar movie to ever get a PG rating because there was, you know, there were a couple moments of, um, I don't know what you would call it. I suppose the rating would call it violence. But one of the really interesting bits I thought was when. Helen was talking to the kids and had to tell them stuff like these people on this island are not going to exercise restraint just because you're a child. Yeah. If they can, good. they're going to kill you. And so, you know, you guys just, you know, just run. Just run if you get the chance. Just get away. Remember the bad guys on those shows you used to watch on Saturday mornings? Well, these guys are not like those guys. They won't exercise restraint because you're children. They will kill you if they get the chance. Do not give them that chance. And a lot of people are, are saying, like, that's not cool and you shouldn't be introducing that. I tell you what, that happened to my parents and they, they would have to tell us stuff like that. You, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, but you live for in parents, it's. No, no, this was during apartheid. I mean, we don't, we don't tell that yeah, to, to like, like my two little sisters. They never sort of got, and my brother as well, to be honest. But, um, living in South Africa and living in a weird situation like that, which is what the Incredibles are going through. The Paws, the Incredibles, the Paws, the Paws were go, were going through. It is real. I was so shocked that moment was in there. That, that moment will stay with me like, you know, forever as a movie moment. Yeah. It's what's, it's, it's why. The real world ramifications are why this movie is one of the reasons why it's yeah. so fantastic, because it's again, it's not a total kids movie. You know, if you're sitting there with like a seven and eight year old and they hear that and they go, hey, mom, hey, dad, what are we talking? Who's dying? And then you have to explain that it's pretty mm. uncomfortable. So, 
Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't well, really true. see the mooks surviving those crashes on the jungle chase scene. They're going after Dash. Yeah, yeah. they don't. Yeah. You don't. You don't see that at all. Well, I mean, they, we we have confirmed deaths in this movie. The superheroes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which was which was a big thing. You know, that's always I it's still shocking, right? In a, in like animated movies, like when someone dies. Yeah, but yeah. that's sort of, it's all off-screen, these guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, when they've made it clear that if you get caught, you're going to die, most likely. <laughs> then you Shame, see man. these guys just blowing up. There's no sort of Wilhelm scream as they yeah. are tossed away from the explosion. It's just, they're gone. Yeah. One thing we actually haven't talked about is the, I mean, like, we're talking about in this movie, this moment, but the the cast and the voice acting. There was a ridiculous amount of chemistry in this, which is, it's really hard to do and something I totally did not even, it didn't even register with me the first time I watched this movie, but it was so normal, especially, uh, who do you hell, it was, is um, Holly Hunter, right? Yeah, she's Elastigirl. She's Elastigirl. I'm not actually a big fan of hers, like in other movies. This was, I thought, just incredible. And then you had like uh, Frozone with Samuel L. Jackson. And mm-hmm. the reason why Samuel L. Jackson was cast is because they wanted Frozone to have the coolest voice. <laughs> so yeah. that was rad. <laughs> but it's the way they all worked together and the, the even the relationship between Dash and Violet, like incredible voice acting, man. It was, I mean, that was even at points better than Toy Story, I thought, just the way that the family got together. I thought Toy Story was like maybe a, a better all-around movie as such, taking all things into account. Mm-hmm. But just some of the moments that they captured in the family and stuff, like it was just sensational. The, uh, like hats off to the entire cast. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, totally agree with that. Craig T. Nelson as Mr. Incredible. Craig you know, T. Nelson, who, yeah. Who would have yeah. thought? It's there's Yeah. <laughs> it's like he, he's known for Coach, the, the series Coach. And then he was... Fantastic, and as Mister Incredible. So one thing I wanted to ask you guys: it felt like a bigger thing after the movie, and it felt like it was never explained. But we get we got to see the term Chronos, that was the code name for the plan, and it was also the password. Which that was like for somebody who's so clever, that was a bit thick, right? The <laughs> password to access the plan is the name of the plan. And, you know, so <laughs> it's not it's not like many levels of security there, Mr. Syndrome. But uh, have, have you guys uh, looked into this, why it was called Kronos and uh, its tie into the film? Well, I, I'm assuming uh, when you're saying it like that, you're talking about the uh, sort of origin of uh, the, the mythology of the character Kronos. Yeah, t- tell us fa- about that. Father, father of gods, the uh, Greek gods. Mm-hmm. He's he's the chief titan before Zeus kills him along with his two brothers, and then take over on Olympus, because he yeah, ate, that, that is he exactly, ate yeah. everyone and then Zeus he kills eats him. his children. Yeah, he ate five of his children. He's the lord of time. Yeah, well, apparently, so then Zeus kills him and releases all the children. Yes, and yeah. then and it's, so like you know a, a weird way to eat people. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, and then it's sort of a sucks to be you, Hades. You're the youngest brother. Bye. Yeah, you're a hell. There was also another movie called Kronos in which a alien technology lands on Earth, right? It, it crashes into a city. I think this was also around the 60s. That's apparently the time period that The Incredibles is set in, the 60s. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, Kronos, this machine comes up and attacks Earth and wants to take over all of Earth and everything that the Earth military and uh, offensive forces throw at it, it basically absorbs and becomes bigger and better and chucks it back. And they have to eventually defeat it by turning it against itself. itself, yeah. And that's exactly the story of the machine. Okay, it gets rebuilt a number of times instead of evolves by itself. But it's exactly the same story. So, like, you have two of those things, like little tip of the hats for you to go off and like research by yourself. Okay, only the geeks are going to do it. We're, we're going to be the only people to do that kind of thing. But that's why we have pods like this, right? So you guys don't have to. We just sort it out for you. Yeah. You can go research a little more if you want. You know, the, the yeah. entire yeah. script was based on 1960s comic books and spy films. Yeah. That, that yeah. influenced yeah. Brad Bird when he was growing up. Mm. Yeah, basically. Mm. Yeah, And that, that movie's from 1957 and they tried to kill it with an A-bomb. So that goes to 
state it right there. So I gotta say my other favorite bits of the movie was uh, as you say, Joey, when Dash laughed while he was running on the water. <laughs> that was just up so uplifting. It was brilliant. And I gotta talk about Edna Mode because what a character. I just absolutely loved it. She was su- such a quirky thing. Uh, to, to put in the movie and so forcefully friendly, you know, to, to, to be that kind of character it must be difficult to sort of get that in. But one of my favorite lines in the movie is, I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. So absolutely almost arrogant, but true at the same time in the way she's just like, you know, everything should be dumped and we should start again. And in fact, one of the themes of the movie, which is pretty cool. And then we have this interesting thing in Mirage as a character right who was uh like syndrome's pa second yeah. in command right hand yeah. man I'm, I'm not really sure what she did there but uh, you have uh and and this is gonna fill in for um flip the script that we're gonna do in just a minute but she was such an interesting character like she wasn't evil as well she was just really efficient at what she did and uh she had some of the best animation i thought in the in the movie when mr incredible chokes her Oh, yeah. Watch her, watch her like her body and the way it spasms and stuff. That was crazy. And the second really cool bit is when Helen walks in on Mr. Incredible and Mirage hugging. And, you know, Helen just punches her across the face. It's yeah, awesome. Her reaction there was just so brilliant. Like, uh, I can only imagine animators just sitting there having an absolute ton of fun animating those things. But yeah, there's this was, only I mean, one scene where I feel the animation is sort of let down. Uh huh. That's uh, when they're. Helen and the kids are tumbling out of the plane because they're trying to sort of keep the hair physics realistic. Yes. Uh, and it makes the shape of their faces really weird. Yeah, it does. That was the hardest thing to animate, they said. I can't remember her name, but her surname is Val, the person who voiced Violet. She actually had a bald character. Like Violet was bald until right near the end of production because long hair was the hardest to animate. There was, in fact, an entire underwater scene that they had to chuck out because Violet's hair was too difficult to animate. It would just take too long. Also, (laughs) most of the voice actors are returning except for the guy who did Dash for the sequel. Yeah, I heard that. Oh, that's good. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's uh, good news, though. Yeah, yeah the, the reason that voice actor isn't returning is... Uh, is it because he's gone through puberty? Yeah, basically, his voice <laughs> yeah. did as well. Yeah. And uh, he can't really pretend to be a 10-year-old boy with his voice anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awkward, you know, awkward. <laughs> what you going to do? <laughs> now it's time for Flip the Script. All right, that's what that sound means. That's what we're going to do right now. So we have to talk about this because this is such a big thing in the film and I've so patiently avoided talking about it this entire pod, right? But does the government create the superheroes? I can justify this if you want because I think that they do. What's your thoughts on this? Joe, I'll start with you. Hmm. Do you mean just for this movie or in general? No, no, no. Just for this movie. Just only in The Incredibles. The government specifically created the first generation. So that's like um, the parents and Frozone and all the yep. heroes that died. And those, the government specifically, there was a government program that created the heroes in the Incredibles universe. And then they killed them off. They got killed off one by one. The government yep. didn't actually go off and kill them. They looked like, you know, especially with Edna was explaining the no cape scene, which was hilarious. Yeah. But uh, it didn't seem like there was a lot of government interference. But you don't know because... And we'll get to that just now. But that might have been the thing that they might have done that, actually. I'll let you go first, because I'm, I'm interested in what you have to say on this. All right. So what I think happens here, right, is that there are superheroes, as far as we know, only occur in the United States of America. Right. They are also immediately all known by government. They don't they aren't born with these powers. There's no evidence of that. We don't get to see anything. We just know there's one generation that just all happens at the same time. Adults are superheroes. When the whole thing happens, when 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 the heroes cause problems as such, like for example, when there's damage or when they are sued, it's the government that has to pay the money. Right? The, and they say in the movie the government has, you know, they're worried that there's too many 
problems coming out of it and the, the finance is too much. Why would the government have to pay for a superhero's problem? That doesn't happen in really like any other universe almost, right? Then you have interesting things like Mirage. And I think Mirage is not an evil character. She's she she either really believes in what Syndrome's doing, which doesn't it really doesn't look like, or she's a person supplied by the government. And that's the second question I want to ask. Do you think Syndrome is funded by the government as well? Because what happens is directly after Syndrome, I think, dies, his accounts are all frozen. How do they know where his accounts are? If it was that easy, why didn't they just freeze his accounts from the beginning? You know, that's because the government has created all the superheroes. They control all the superheroes. They already exist in a government database. They're all there. You cannot have a superhero protection program or relocation program or anything like that without the government knowing exactly who every single superhero is. Secondly, there are no supervillains. And can I say, Bon Voyage is one of the most amazing names I've ever heard for a villain ever. Apparently, his name was Bon Perignon, and uh, the drink didn't want to, you know, uh, allow an association with that. But that is that is absolutely marvelous. There's nobody else that has superpowers, and it's like overkill. I mean, on the way to his wedding, Mr. Incredible can like nonchalantly solve like a, a few problems even saving a cat in the tree have you know just swing the tree over stop a criminal zapping there and you know that's everything is just so easy for them that's because they're the only people that can access that that level of power because the government have created all the superheroes what do you guys think about that i'll let you touch that one first martin <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't want to touch this with a 15-foot pole, but you go right ahead. <laughs> so, uh, well, it's, it's an interesting train of thought uh, because you see so little of the sort of golden age of heroes period. It's kind of hard to tell if the villains are just are all... Because my impression is that the villains are sort of the Lex Luthor kind of villain. Lots of brains resources only the one though right like only the one and that person might be resourced by government as well well no because you get the scene in the car where they're talking about past sort of actions against villains and they have death rays and all that kind of stuff true 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 yeah yeah no i didn't take that into account so well spotted yeah in the case of syndrome though i think where, where it falls down with the government freeze accounts is he references he's basically an arms dealer. My my modern take on syndrome would basically be Elon Musk gone rogue. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he openly talks about selling weapons to governments because mm. they want to buy respect in the eyes of the world. And once... But no one stops him. No one stops him across that entire time. Also, the supervillains die and no one cares. Yeah. yeah. Also, when the supervillains are deemed illegal, for 15 years, what we see in the world is not much happened. The, the world just looks completely normal. I mean, they're selling insurance for completely normal stuff. Jobs are as boring as they ever were, sort of. Kids yeah. go to school. The superheroes didn't change anything except tip the favor massively in favor of uh, the government, essentially. All right, I'm going to... So I'll, I'll piggyback off of both you guys, and I'm going to go with... Remember how Stratagirl dies when she gets sucked into the plane. Mm. And they talk about the no capes thing, which is funny, right? But mm. I believe that it's Edna who knows everything. I believe Edna sets up Mirage. I think she sets up Syndrome. I think it just got out of control for her. I think that Syndrome talked to her Remember, remember when she, remember when he, Syndrome tells Mr. Incredible he's, I'm your number one fan and desperately wanted to become a superhero. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Edna has all the control over the, the costumes. Everybody's. So I think it's her that is behind the whole thing. I think Edna works for government in that case. That's what I'm trying to say. I think it was her that controlled the whole superhero, supervillain thing. She's mm. not necessarily a villain. She's just trying to work both sides of it and even it out in the end. So she's, she's just like Mirage, basically. She's Amanda Waller with a conscience. 
Amanda, does Amanda Waller not have a conscience? Not isn't really. She, isn't she like sort of good? Isn't she sort of working towards the greasy good? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> not in the comics. Either. I always thought like, uh, uh, like on a technical level, she's sort of like generally will move towards bureaucratically good. I mean, she's a she's like a, a top ranking U.S. government official, so I, I wouldn't call her necessarily good. <laughs> so that's the thing I want to ask in this case. If this hypothesis is correct and government has created the superheroes and then essentially, like we're saying here, I didn't really take that into account before, but government kills a bunch of superheroes, then government essentially creates Syndrome and funds him and uses him to eliminate a bunch of superheroes, you know, so that they can essentially control this a little bit better, only to be thwarted by Mr. Incredible. To what end is all of this? What would be the point? Well, if we're going down that rabbit hole, uh, <laughs> I'd say uh, probably initially when they started, it would be to sort of get uh, just sort of quietly remove the heroes who just can't adjust. And then Syndrome probably gets a taste for it and keeps going just to see how far he can take it. So well, Joey, you got any thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just kind of go back to Edna, and I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a government thing. I think that she's the one who controls it all. I think she has a, she has the trust of everybody. So therefore, she can kind of spin this any way she wants to. I think they want you to think the program Kronos itself is a government program, but I think it's her behind this whole thing. But government has to be involved, right, because of the whole superhero relocation protection thing. Unless she's the head of that quote-unquote government. Oh, wow. That's yeah, where yeah, I was going yeah. with it, yeah. Uh, I suppose we'll find that more in Incredibles 2. What are you guys looking forward to in Incredibles 2? I mean, we already got the entire cast there, as you guys are saying. It comes with a huge amount of hype, right? Because, uh, Joey, I'm sure you'll know this, but uh, Incredibles was a huge commercial success. It, uh, how much did it take to create? But it, it was like many times that it got its it's got its return in the box office, right? Yeah, I think it was ninety two million to create. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they made like triple that. So. Yeah, and it was really I think because like Toy Story took like two hundred fifty million or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was much more. I remember. But what do you think that does for Incredibles two? What's your expectations of the movie? Um, I think expectations for the movie-wise, I think because it's been so long since the first one that they've had time to put it together. So I don't think they'll have... I think it's going to be really good, actually. I think it's going to be maybe better as the first one, but I don't know. So most of the time, sequels are not as good as the first one, but they really have this ability because of all that time in between to do mm. something really good with it. Yeah, and you, Martin? Uh, I'll be honest, I usually always look forward to a Pixar movie because they tend to hold a very high quality. I mean, the only mm. disappointment mm. I've had so far watching a Pixar movie was uh, Cars 2. And even that wasn't... It, it had its moments, but it wasn't overall fantastic start to finish. I, well, uh, I'm trying. Cars uh, is basically the most American-focused of, of the series of Pixar movies. Yeah, big time. But mm. Uh, mm. what I like about Pixar movies in general is that they have so many layers of story and humor and references. Where when you watch it as a kid, you're not going to catch all of the stuff it's pointing at, but watch it again a couple of years later and it's like, oh, wow. Mm. <laughs> I didn't notice that on the first time around. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. They, they, I mean, they, like we've been saying in a, in a couple of the pods already, just amazing what they actually do. I, I just hope it's a good movie and uh, I'm going to try as much as I can as usual, like I, I usually do, to avoid all trailers and anything to do with the movie and hopefully just go watch a, a really, really awesome film. But yeah, I mean, thanks so much, guys. That's that was that was we went deep with that pod, right? We went, yeah, we, really <laughs> we did. discussed some stuff. We <laughs> so yeah, but guys, uh, thanks so much, Joey. You've been on before, so if you 
want to keep stum on this one, then that's fine. But usually I'd have the guests just suggest to the audience uh, another animated movie that we haven't covered yet in Flipbook to watch. So, uh, yeah, do you have a suggestion for us? Big Hero 6, for sure. It's a great movie. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other big one. I think in, in Toy Story, you said Incredibles, right? And, and Big yeah. Hero 6. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Consistent. Consistent, if nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's cool. And you, Martin, same question. <laughs> well, uh, which part of the list should I pick from? <laughs> <laughs> the top. Pick from the top. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say the, the one that's sort of a, the first animated movie that I saw that I knew was very, very different was uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, what a good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right in your alleyway, Kay. That is, that is. And it was one of the ones I was thinking about suggesting myself. <laughs> when you're used to sort of Western animated movies, it's just so different. For sure, for sure. I'll keep it a bit more current. I'm going to go with, you know what, go watch My Hero Academia. It's an anime that's currently airing. It explores the very issues we've been talking about in this pod. In that world, 80% of the population of the world basically has superhero powers. It makes us some incredible exploration of the themes of the Incredibles. So go put your eyes on that. And just to touch on some of the sound bites used in this pod, we stole some stuff from movies. <laughs> I'll just list them here. Office Space, Spider-Man, um, Lord of the Rings, and Civil War. I think the only new sound we used was the Music Center, and that's from Mike Koenig at soundbible.com. Right. That's all from us. Keep it in the now, peeps. Till next time. Bye-bye. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.